This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. It's fun, crazy. It's painful, but it's wonderful. What is the name? It's Roycey Unchained. Time for Unchained. Zolgad, Declan Goff, and obviously the star of the show, Patrick Roycey. And Patrick, uh, Cooperstown, tell us all about seeing uh, Jim Cott and probably most importantly, Tony Oliva inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, very... Uh... Very uh, uplifting for those of us who uh, started being Twins followers on the day they uh, announced they were moving here in 1960. And from the day that Pistol Pete Ramos shut out the Yankees on opening day in Yankee Stadium and we were going to win the World Series one game in, this team is invincible. Uh, and, of course, uh, Cott was a, a very big part of uh, those teams from the very get-go. But uh, we got excited about Tony even the first year because, as I wrote, in the sporting news, which is where you had to go for all minor league information, and it was always a week or 10 days old, we discovered that this guy we'd never heard of hit, had hit 410 for Whiteville, North Carolina, in the rookie league. And, uh, you know, we said 410. That guy got to be able to hit, right? And then, of course, uh, I think the Twins brought him up in 62 for six or seven at-bats in uh, September. He he came up. And then, of course, 63, we got to see him more in September. And 64, opening day, he was in a lineup and was a staple until he dived to try to make a catch in in Oakland and um, in uh, the middle of the – 2000, uh, the 1971 season and uh, was uh, one of the best players in the game until then. And it was, he really wanted this badly, even though he didn't let the public know that, you know, he wasn't pleading or begging or anything, but uh, this was uh, really important for him. And uh, I'm sure this has been reported back, uh, back here, but uh, the, the great quote he had was uh, when he was asked how long the speech was going to go. He said, 45 minutes, one one minute for every year I had to wait. So uh, it was somebody, uh, that was pretty good. Now, let me say this about Tony. Uh, he still has the incredibly thick accent, and that makes people think that he doesn't speak English very well. He actually is very conversant in English, getting his point across when you're sitting next to him, talking to him. When he's talking to 30,000 people trying to give a speech, it's a little bit different. But uh, Tony has a trait that Judd and I knew about 
with Sid Hartman, and I certainly would never compare one of the nicest guys to ever play sports in Minnesota with Sid Hartman. But they both had fantastic observational skills. They always knew what was going on around them, and Tony's the same way. He he makes references to stuff that you didn't see that you didn't see or you didn't think he saw or something like that. He's a very observational guy. And uh, we were all happy for him, but Cott is such a sharp, high class communicator and, uh, you know, living life, still living life to the fullest at age uh, 83 and a half. And he's gone through the death of his daughter He's uh, gone through the death of his, uh, the favorite of his first three wives. <laughs> you know, he's, he had two divorces, and I think those were mutual, but his third wife, Marianne, uh, he was uh, he was extremely close to her and the mother of, uh, you know, and, and in fact, the reason he quit the Yankees was that she was ill uh, in what would prove to be fatal, and they they went rented a Winnebago and drove around the country and saw all the sights that they hadn't hadn't seen. He was just driving this, and I got him on the radio once. I remember I was trying to track him down on something. I might have even been for an interview for a, a column I was doing for the Star Tribune, but he was on some peak. I got him on a. He says I got to get out of this valley, and he was on some peak, and then he could talk to him on his cell phone, <laughs> but he was like in the Rocky Mountains or something like that. So. Uh, you know, too, uh, really, uh, 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 I always thought that the uh, twins had uh, ignored Cot too much because, uh, you know, he was here for 12 and a half years. And I, I kind of complained when they retired Blylevin's number that they should be retiring Cot's number uh, first. And uh, it's nice to see that uh, they both, now that he's made the Hall of Fame, they both have... Uh, they both uh, have had their numbers retired, but yeah, it was great. It was, uh, now here's the trouble though. Uh, baseball, as we've all said, if it can be screwed up, they will do it. Right. That's their specialty. Screwing things up. So we have Bud Fowler who played before 1900 and he was a, you know, allegedly grew up in Cooperstown and, uh, you know, first black player, first black professional player, and the the old, old, old uh, historic people, Steve Hurt and those guys got him in. So now, how are we gonna? We there's no Bud Fowler relatives. There's no you know nobody has any recollect real recollection of him. So it's ninety two or three degrees. You got thirty thousand people sitting out there under the sun, and. Uh, there's a threat of rain, you know, and it, it came, it came later, but it was the, the storms are in the forecast and they get Dave Winfield up there. And instead of saying five heartfelt minutes of what Bud Fowler meant to black baseball players a century later, he went on for 20 minutes reading basically this saber out what Saber had written about him, Bud Fowler, with all his stuff, and you're you're taking 20 minutes and 
going on and on and on and nobody cares, including anyone who cared about Bud Fowler. And you're out there in the heat and all you want is somebody to say, hey, Bud, here, let's have a hand for Bud and get it over with. <laughs> you, already, you just killed 20 minutes. Anybody watching on TV said, bleep it, I'm going to go watch an old XFL game or some damn thing. <laughs> so he goes second after Cot. Mm-hmm. And then third, goes third, is Minnie Minosa's widow. And, you know, there's some Chicago people and there's some fans out there that were his neighbors that held the flag up and stuff. But she ended it four times and then just kept babbling. You know, give me eight minutes of mini. Okay, give me eight. Don't give me 25 minutes of mini. You've now spent 45 minutes on on Bud Fowler and Minnie Minosa. God love Minnie. Don't have the widow give it because she's terrible. Let let Mike Vett show up and talk about him or something, you know, because he, he knew him through his dad. And, you know, have her take a bow and say, I love Minnie, but they they put no limit on these people. They got to get the hook, right? So I want to say- finally get to Tony, and by then the whole crowd's restless, and uh, you know it was it was supposed to. They were going to do it quick because the weather was coming on, so they didn't play the videos. But then right. you got forty five minutes of Bud Fowler and Minnie Minosa introductions. I want to say the football uh, in Canton, Patrick, is if you're dead, you don't get a speech. I think with Ken Stabler, they brought out his ki- his adult kids or something and mm-hmm. showed the bust, and they came out and looked at the bust, but I don't think they do speeches if you're deceased. Well, I, I'm not saying you can't get a speech, but just have somebody submit what she plans to say, okay? And, and then line delete it? Yeah, and say, no, well, you don't need that much. You know, say, say you got six minutes, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to uh, start playing organ music or some damn thing. You're going to play them off like the Oscars? Yeah, like Nancy. Have Nancy Faust, uh, you know, have an old tape of Nancy Faust at Comiskey Park playing something and get her off. But the the (laughs) Winfield thing was the worst. Of course, I remember when Winnie made his speech, when he went in, I was out there for that one. He took way too long that time, too. So I guess he can't shut up. But it was... Those St. Paul Central graduates, Pat, they just they they ramble on and on and on. I I know yeah. I know where Dave is coming from. Yes, well, it, no, but they gave him this booty. Right. They said, "Hey, look up some stuff on Bud." So right. somebody gives him the saber thing, which was four thousand words, and he reads it. I you know anyway, but it was if you were out there, it was the big poppy show. That was there were more. I'm not. Exaggerating. There were more Latin, you know, Spanish speaking Caribbean media there than there were US media. I mean, Poppy was, it was, there had to be 200 reporters, people with passes. I don't know who they were, but hanging around. And every time Tony did one smart thing to get a cheer. He put it, he threw Santa Domingo in there for a place that he played as the Winter League. Hey! <laughs> you mentioned Santa Domingo. They all cheered. But uh, Poppy, uh, Poppy was the hero of the weekend, that's for sure. So how, how was the trip 
consi- considering you flew to uh, what Toronto, drove to with Toronto. Sharkman to Cooperstown, yeah, and then drove back uh, to Toronto. He's interesting. He's uh, you know, he was the the original plan way back was that uh, the bride and I were going to take a two week drive through Canada and uh, you know back and going to drive it and stop in Toronto for a couple of days and see Sharkman and his bride and uh, and then uh, that fell through. So, and then when I found out it was 800 a night, uh, for, uh, for, uh, three night minimum to stay at a, a hotel where you could at least take a shower in Cooperstown, I said, okay, I need another game plan. And so I, I said, I know I'll fly through Toronto and drive down with shark, but if he wants to do it. So that's what we did. And, uh, yeah, it was interesting. He's a, He's a character. He's not a, I wouldn't describe him as a patient driver. However, he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he's not one of those guys that makes obscene gestures mm-hmm. to people that he doesn't see driving well, but he does uh, cast some aspersions inside the vehicle when uh, somebody's doing something that uh, does it. But it, it was, uh, it was, that, that made it fun. That was interesting. And I got to see Bob Elliott. who's was a good friend of mine. I hadn't seen him since he had the near fatal heart attack. And he's always a character. And then uh, Bob Fowler's uh, son in Utica, as you saw, I spent, I got, I had dinner with him and Bob Fowler. I read about it. Yeah. Who died in 09 from ALS and my all time running mate on the road back in the seventies. And his, he and his, he, he ran that Utica ball club and uh, starting in 1984 he bought that for Utica ball club and Rob had stayed up there and lived and then uh, and then we ran into the save the Met guys at the staying at the same hotel you know how I had this new experience this year hockey parents on the road yeah you know mm-hmm. they are ill behaved and they they <laughs> drink way too much God bless him. I have discovered that the leftover Save the Met ballpark tours people have the same affinity. <laughs> and, uh, they 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 go here because of their love of baseball, but it's certainly tied at best with their love of alcohol. So when they're on the road, so uh, we had guys. Next, I wrote this. We had guys <laughs> next to us at two a.m still hooting and hollering and I had to get up the next morning and head down to Cooperstown. I, I needed a couple hours of sleep, man. God, they're in there screaming and hollering. Uh, you know, you're adults, you're 60 years old now, fellas, get, get some sleep. What the hell? There's and a reason why Patrick, they wanted to save the Met though. It, it yeah. didn't have as much to do with outdoor baseball as we maybe thought at the time. Outdoor, outdoor beer drinking is outdoor beer drinking far more important. Yes, that is that is true. That is true. Anyway, it Pat, was fun. It was Pat, I was watching the uh, the TV introduction, and I was watching uh, Costas's interview with, with Tonio um, that morning of, and he brought up the point of because Tonio's injury was in seventy one, correct with it with his knee, and he'd had already a couple of surgeries, but right. that was the that was the fatal one. Yeah, and and Costas kind of alluded to you kind of have two parts of your career, right? The prime that he had. Uh, at the yeah. beginning of his career, up to seventy-one, and then the, the, those yeah. you know seasons from seventy-two until he retired, where he kind of was just mediocre. wasn't wasn't the player he used to be. Playing do you on one see? Leg, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Do, do you see, and what I, what, it, what struck me was when I, when I went and looked up those numbers that morning and, and then I pulled up also, um, I pulled up Maurer's numbers post the concussion from, from 2013 that knocked him out, made him a first baseman and made him a less effective player, but still was able to get out there. Do you, do you see parallels to how Maurer gets into the hall of fame? I don't think he'll be, you know, take 45 years to get in necessarily, but do you see parallels in both Tony O's career and kind of Maurer's career from the concussion injury with Joe with, with the leg injury for Tony O? Yeah, I do. Now, here's one thing you remember when you look at Tony's numbers, and if they don't blow your mind, they, they, it was the dead ball, 15-inch mound era. You know, 67 teams started hitting, kind of like now, but without the home run, 68, 69, 70, 71. And if 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 it hadn't been for that, his numbers would have been better. But also, he wouldn't have been able to play after 1971 if they hadn't come in with the DH in 73. I think his most amazing season might be 73, playing on one league. I believe he one leg. I believe he had 91 RBIs that year, and he couldn't. You know, if if he got a double. It was uh, he hit he hit fifty doubles and thirty eight of them were singles because he he could not run it. I mean he would who's the slowest guy in the Twins now? Uh, he would outrun Tony. Tony played limped uh, limped. Here's a, the other amazing season seventy one itself. This is still we're still kind of coming out of the they've now lowered the mound but it's still. You know, the numbers are still low. He was hitting 380 when he ruined his knee. He was leading the league and batting by about 45 points. And he ended up coming back. He only missed four or five days with a ruined knee. And he, he hit the 331, I think, and still won the batting title. He, uh, 337. He huh? 337. 337, but yeah, he still yeah, won so the we lost he lost about 45 points on his batting average and still won the batting title that year. He was, uh, he was to me, he's the best hitter they ever had because he could hit it out of the ballpark, but he could hit, you know, hit it for three. And he was, he had some crew in him, and I wouldn't say he had crew in him, but I, I, he had some crew in him, and he had some harmon in him. And uh, it was, uh, you know, he was, uh, he, he was a magnificent hitter, and He's funny talking about himself as an outfielder. He say, he said, I was a I was a rookie playing a night game. I'd say, I got it, I got it. It would land twenty feet behind me. <laughs> <laughs> he never he couldn't see the ball at night, you know, because he never played on the lights in Cuba. And he he didn't he couldn't he was uh, you know and and then his judgment was terrible too. I'd say the most fun I had, though, is uh, at this Twins reception, which they have at uh, the James. They had it for Kirby there, too, at the James Fenimore Cooper Museum, which sits right on the lake with this big, gorgeous lawn and a big, this old building and a big patio, cement patio up there. So they had it there again. And uh, we got there fairly early and Jack McKeon showed up 92 years old, sharp as a tack and told stories for an hour uh, to us guys. Cause there was nobody else to talk to. 
he was uh, he was hilarious talking about not only talking about Tony and Cod, who he managed both of them in the minor leagues, but uh, but telling us about working for Charlie Finley when when Hammer was his uh, was his number one. He'd, he'd have to be asked to take orders from Hammer. No, Hammer'd come down with messages from Charlie. Oh, when he went to work, okay. Uh, yeah. Charlie was Charlie was like a fourteen year old vice. I mean, Hammer was like a fourteen year old yeah. vice president, and he had the Hammer nickname then. Because some player thought he looked like Henry Aaron, so yep. they started. That's why they called him Hammer. But he was he was running around like 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 uh, he owned the uh, you know like he owned the team. You know, Charlie spent most of the summer in Laporte, Indiana. He wasn't out there and uh, and on some lake. And Hammer would uh, call it. He'd be on the phone with Hammer. Because he couldn't get the broadcast, you know, <laughs> and Hammer would do play by play. You know, Hammer would do play by play, and <laughs> McKeon told me one day Hammer was otherwise occupied, so Charlie wanted him to do the game, and you know, to do what Hammer did, because Jack then was a assistant general manager, right? So Jack would go ball one. Strike one. <laughs> and after about two minutes, he says, no, no, do it like Hammer does it. Tell me. The guy's in, he's winding up. He's, he, wanted, <laughs> he, wanted to, he wanted him to give him all the movements, McKeon. Oh, God, McKeon is, uh, God, he could, you know, he managed, what, five different teams. And yeah, his baseball career is incredible. It, it is. And he was with the, the Twins were his first manager in, team and uh, I think in 15 was it 59 he had no 58 he had caught I think in Missoula Montana and he was both his manager and catcher he was catching uh, he was catching oh, him really wow. yeah and of, of course the story Cot likes to tell is uh, bases he's pitching is he's one and four he loads the bases early on and McKeon and comes out to him, flips him the ball and says, you figure it out. You know, in other words, you know, right. get him. I'm not, don't look at me for advice. You figure it out. So, you know, what's amazing about Cot that I had actually forgotten Calvin, they were mad at Cot from the time he wrote, they fired Johnny Sane as a pitching coach. Cot gives Johnny Sane more credit for his success than anybody at pitching coach. And Johnny Sane, but it was a hard-headed guy, and he clashed with Calvin or something. They fired him, and he wrote an open letter. I think it was the Minneapolis Star, one of the Minneapolis papers. Cott wrote an open letter ripping Calvin and the twins for firing Johnny Sane in the in the winter of whatever year. Really? They have to look it up, yes. And they were miffed, to say the least. And uh, But they put up with him for three more years because he was really good. And then he he and Calvin had this bitter battle over salary before the 73 season. And he got 60000 out of Calvin. And Calvin was P.O.'d, man, that he had to pay this guy 60000 And when he wasn't pitching well, he was having a bad summer. That's when they released him. And back then, 100 bucks. 
cost a hundred bucks for the whiteies to claim him. He invented that fast pitch, that that quick pitching method during the. Uh, he just get the ball back and throw it, and uh, with during the, that off season, he won twenty games twice in a row for the White Sox, seventy four and seventy five. Hundred bucks got him, and then he hot story. He, Pat, about his dad was incredible, too. The, the fact that the Sox tried to basically give him what? a pretty substantial Yeah. And, and his dad said, no, that, that's a bad idea because back then they had to keep him on the roster for yeah, what, it had to be, two years uh, of bonus. It had baby. to be 4000 or less. Yep. Uh, if you got a bonus over 4000 incredible. They had to, to stay in the big leagues for two years. That's what's happened. That's what happened to Paul Gill, you know. Paul Gill with the the great football uh, back of the Gophers, the runner up for the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, uh, former Turkey of the Year when he was AD at the Gophers. But <laughs> yes. uh, he, uh, uh, he he signed with the Giants instead of the NFL because there was more money, the New York Giants. But he didn't pitch for two years, and he, you know, he could never get, he, never, he still had the great arm, but he could never get control because he had two wasted years. Harmon had to do that too, of course. Uh, Herman had to, Sit in the benches at eighteen and nineteen year old kid with the Washington Senators. Uh, what, what a stupid, what a stupid rule! But it's baseball; they're yeah. still stupid. <laughs> Four thousand dollars triggers yeah. you have to be basically a non-player for two years, two and years you don't get experience. Take my best prospects and not let them play for two years because we don't want anybody paying them. Yeah, makes no sense. Miguel Sano is back, Patrick. Yeah, it is really interesting what the heck they're going to do with them. Uh, you know, they've. I think they're very hopeful that he hits a home run and somebody will give him a double A pitcher for him and they can move him. But uh, it was incredible the way they ignored his existence, as least at least publicly, during during his rehab. Yeah. You ever seen a player? He's still prominent, okay? A prominent player ignored. I mean, unless somebody specific when when he gave up when he gave his health updates, Rocco never mentioned him how he was doing. And apparently, last week when I asked about him, he said, uh, "We'll have some something on that later." He wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know with uh, I mean they had to. You can't just put him on waivers, I don't think. So, uh, you know, you, you have to try to move him. But it, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you got to – I'd give him a few at-bats this week, and if he looks like the same overmatched uh, clown he was, uh, then he's out of here. And, uh, I mean, let's comprehend what he did his first month. He was hitting 93. Right. 93. You can't hit 93. Burt Blylevin hit 93. Worst hitter of all time. So if he doesn't show any indication of being able to adjust to modern pitching, you know, the high fastball thrown at 96, 7, 8 miles an hour and, the, you know, getting behind in the count because you can't get to that pitch and then waving, I mean, he, he's, he just has to show some ability to put the ball in play, and I don't know if it's there or not. But uh, 
it's a it's a quandary to say the least. Yeah, and, and I'm curious where the bats are going to come from now, right? Because you've got guys who are playing pretty well, so you're going to have to not play them. And and the problem too is he he was so bad against Southpaws. Yeah. That it's not like you can plug him in and be certain, well, at least he can hit these guys well, because he didn't. So, I don't know. But I, he's I agree also a guy that you don't want on your bench. I mean, right. you, can't, <laughs> exactly. you can't let him – you can't give him six at-bats a week and think that he's going to do anything. He needs at-bats. That's if the thing, If he's going to yes. be there, he's got to play every day and yes. hope he runs into something. So, it's it's – uh, it's a terrible fit, but they're, it's only, uh, we got to wait to see how it all shakes out August 2nd, you know, what, what the roster looks like August 2nd. They might trade one of these guys to try to get a pitcher that now figures into arithmetic when you're trying to find spots for players. You know, if somebody wants Miranda in a trade, you might have to include him in to, to try to, you know, get a pitcher. So that you'll see how. You know, whether he fits or not will depend on what happens uh, between now and August 2nd, I would guess. But you it certainly you certainly don't like the idea of Celestino not being on the team. That's what I thought. Buxton plays half the time. Correct. If you're lucky. And I don't want Nick Gordon out there as your full-time, you know, playing more in center field than anybody else. But that's what your option is now. Yeah, and that's the thing. And Kaplan's hurt too, right? Yeah, he's in a walking boot. He he might be headed to the eye. He was in the walking boot after Sunday. That's what they said. But as I said on Twitter yesterday, they could put Sano in right field because he has experience out there. So, right? It it kept him in great shape. He took that so seriously. (laughs) He lost all that weight. He was phenomenal out there. What an arm. strategy. Somebody suggested they're going to have to bring back Ozzy Garcia to work with oh, him though, on the, uh, how <laughs> you saw it you're the only person who saw that a special consultant to uh help yeah i was the only one that saw as as brad style was on the mlb always oh, down there working two hours a day with all our instructors i was looking at ozzy rc out there showing him how to take a first step in the left field they didn't even bother to go over to right field where he was playing they just stayed in the left <laughs> Unbelievable, Pat. Would you rather see this team by the deadline get a get a starter or just pile up the bullpen? I mean, with the way Rocco and the staff just pull guys after the second time through the order, you know, does it really matter them getting a legitimate starter, or should they just kind of stock stock the bullpen and get as many arms as, or better arms as possible? That's what I don't think they can get a legitimate starter. There's, uh, you know, if if there's Louis Castillo gets traded, it's not going to be here. It's going to be the Yankees or somebody. You know, the Yankees, he shut out the Yankees the other day, so you know they want him. And if, uh, I don't know, the guy, and I don't see them winning a bidding contest for Frankie Montas either. You know what? It also They're scares or- me now. We talked about this last week. Their organization is very thin on top-line talent. So there, it's not like they have a bunch of prospects to uh, – to uh, you know, throw at teams. I, I mean, they. I don't think they can win a bidding contest. So I don't. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, I take. You know, obviously relievers too, but uh, I don't think the starters can get them to the finish line. But you, if you can't get a, if all you can do is get another 
warm body, you know. Unless he's somebody at least at the level of Sonny Gray, I don't want him. Right? I mean, what different, you know, it's got to, you got to yeah. be a, you got to be a, you got to be a plus guy on a, you can't be Homer Bailey, for God's sake. You got to get somebody who's a real arm to, uh, to make a difference as a starter. So, yeah, they'll, they'll get a relief pitcher, I would guess. But whether it turns out to be Sam Dyson Jr. or uh, somebody that uh, can actually help them, we'll find out. So, I think the more that the White Sox and the Cleveland, uh, Cleveland screw around, though, the more incentive there is to do something, right? Yeah, and the division's incredible. Every time I think Cleveland or the White Sox are, are on track, yeah. They lose two games. Cleveland comes out and plays terrible and gives up a bunch of runs. And yep. I mean, lineup-wise, there's no comparison between the Twins and Cleveland, but Cleveland does have. Uh, you know what I'd give you? I'd call Cleveland and say, who do you want for Emmanuel Classe? That's what I'd say. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd, I'd eliminate five of my guys and say, you can't have any of these five. And then say, take your pick of four. <laughs> you know, I love that guy, man. Unbelievable. Is he good? His stuff is ridiculous. Yeah. I just, I, you know, it, it, this isn't hurting them right now, though, that they have, uh, they had an extra day off at, on the break. They got two days off this week. So uh, if you've ever been refreshed for the dog days, this is, uh, this is it. So. so Buxton's knee, I don't think it's good as much as you could possibly try to spin this when, when you get a PRP treatment mid season. How about a mid PRP treatment mid season after you let him play in the all-star game? It's a good thing. They went to Detroit and kicked their ass twice. Otherwise they could have been bashed severely here for putting more importance on Buxton's desire to play the all-star game than to win ball games. You know, because, I mean, they knew damn well he, he left the All-Star game and went and got his uh, injection, basically. And uh, we would have had to uh, kill them for this if they did not uh, go. If the Tigers have not decided to be really terrible oh. about the last two weeks, they've been, you know, the oh. Twins, when the Twins lost, what, three out of five to them? Was it four of what? Three of uh, we saw the Tigers at their best then. Yes. They, they've hit their stride for being rotten now. So There's a team to talk to. They're trying to get rid of everybody. So They're probably going to get rid of everybody. I'd, I'd like that that Scruble guy. Go get that Scruble. Do you like Fulmer from the bullpen, Michael Fulmer? I'd take him, hell yes. You know, and I'd even throw Emilio in that trade if they want to. So, no, I don't <laughs> How kind that. of you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, that... You know, the Tigers won't have any qualms about trading with in the division. You know, you can go get somebody from them. So. When a baseball team quits, it might be one of the ugliest things in sports. Especially when it's early. Yes. Especially when it's, uh, you know, 60% of the way into the season. Yes. And it's, uh, yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it. We saw it uh, pretty good in uh, 19, uh, not 19, uh, what, uh, seven. 16, right? 16, 16 is when they... That was a quit. They quit in like May. That yeah, was impressively yeah, early. They were, uh, 
53, uh, I mean, 59 and 103. They set an all-time Viking uh, Twins record. Congratulations, fellas. Right. I don't know. All of this, though, mm-hmm. you know, all this Twins and all the drama of the Twins and the Vikings starting, I'm still uh, very traumatized by the fact that we didn't win the pre-professional soccer championship. Uh, I don't know how we got that, let that one get away from us. The Aurora, we had them. Didn't we have them? I'm amazed you left town. How could you leave town? I was, I kept checking my phone. I want to tell you to see. And when we went ahead. You should have called for play-by-play. I could have gone to to the game and said, the ball's at midfield. The ball's still at midfield. You could I have been like hammer. hammer. You yes. could have been yeah. describing the game. But as I pointed out the other day, the Wilmer Stingers are in first place in the second half of the Northwoods League in their division. So yeah. we could win a pre-professional championship here in Minnesota. Yet, it's not all lost. All our dreams for pre-professional success have not been lost. We'll screw it up. We screw it all up. Pre-professional, professional, collegiate, we screw it all up. Welcome to Minnesota Sports, Minnesota Aurora. You, yeah, this is, this is right. it. This is how it goes, unfortunately, sometimes. That's right. So, yeah, that that was very heartbreaking uh, to see that uh, see that result. I was very surprised. We we lost to a soccer academy. Yeah, who did beat us? I, I, I missed that a part. Soccer who, who beat us? from Georgia. Georgia. A soccer academy. A soccer. Hey, so those soccer academies can be really good, Pat. Yeah. Like losing to IMG in the, you know, the wild got eliminated by IMG, you know. <laughs> and we gave it huge publicity. What is wrong with you people? If they sell tickets, we'll cover it in this town. That's the key thing. So, Patrick, I believe if I am uh, cor- correct about this, we are. We are celebrating the dates of the 30th anniversary of the fateful Twins A's Eric Fox experience. Oh, wow. Is it uh, August the what? Uh, no, late July. Was it late July? Oh, I was in Barcelona. It was late July, yes. I was in Barcelona and heard it uh, like secondhand of, of the loss. And it was such a dramatic event Yep. that, man- that it depressed manager Kelly. He's uh, Of all those lousy teams that he had, Yep. The last two months of the uh of the uh, that season, the nineteen ninety two season, were uh his worst, he says. He was emotionally because he just couldn't believe the way his team was playing. Yeah, I agree. Oh, excuse me. Yep. I felt that coming for about ten minutes. So that was good. Anyway. July twenty seventh through July twenty ninth at the Metrodome well, swept uh, by the was, A's. It was on the twenty ninth that he hit the home run then, right? It, had, uh, it was the third game. It was the last game. Was it or was it the second I, game? I thought it was the last game because I thought they left down with the sweep. And yeah, that was the uh, Eric Fox. And mm-hmm. you're right. And wasn't it? Didn't we discover when we were talking earlier, Judd, that the uh, the winning goal by the St. Louis Blues when they beat our North Stars in the in the Western Division uh, finals? The first year, yep, sixty-eight, preventing us from going to the Stanley Cup Finals right away was from some guy named Fox, I believe. I think it was some guy named really? Fox. Really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I didn't realize the that Fox was loose before. I do believe it was. I, I, I think that's the. Uh, 
But that yes. that is the most talented Twins team I think I have yes. ever seen, and and it just collapsed. I told you guys, I uh, I told you guys I covered the All Star game, and uh, San Diego. That was a tough assignment, and uh, I covered it in. I think I was national president, so I was one of the three scorekeepers. So I got paid, dude. Was, oh my god, nice! You know, like Two hundred bucks a pop or some three of us, and didn't make a call because we let Bill Collier make all the calls. <laughs> and but we had three man scoring teams. It was so sanctity, but I was down there for BP on before the game. Yep, and Fergosi was managing the Phillies and he was a coach on the team and he came over to me and said they tell me meaning the the universal they your team is playing better than it played at any time last year your team is playing better than it ever played that this you won two world uh, world series but this is the best twins team ever and uh we all kind of felt that way i mean they were just in the field they were just magnificent that team and uh yeah and it's they got oh, oakland came in here and swept them and they didn't play worth a damn the last two months of the season and ended up what several games behind right five six seven games yeah i think it was yeah yeah they they collapsed yeah they did i mean they just after that they just, just stopped playing great and uh that was a you know this 87 team we all remember as uh, you know, kind of a they, they played magnificently in the uh, in the ALCS to beat that Detroit team. That's the best they ever played. But they were young and uh, you know, twenty nine and fifty two on the road, and still ended up winning the World Series. But that ninety one team was really good, and I mean, yes. that nucleus of players was really good, and they had yep. the same nucleus ninety two. And then they panicked; they didn't want to pay everybody, so they. Uh, you know, didn't, 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 was that the off season where they let Gagne go and then signed Dave Winfield, right? Uh, the next, yes. Very bad decision. Yeah. We did. You can either take the best fielding shortstop you've ever had and, and your best athlete and try to get him back for about the same money or sign a 38-year-old dead designated hitter was over the hill. That was not a good decision, so to say the least. What did, did you think of uh, John Smiley? Because they got him in spring training after Morris went to Toronto uh, in spring of '92, had the personality of a, of a guy leading a jailbreak. He was not a happy man. He was grumpier than hell, and I think he wanted his money basically. Mm-hmm. And they they got him, and but he was a pretty good pitcher. He but yes. he again went in the tank down, but he pitched really good for him early, and he was lefty. And he kind of replaced Frankie. You know, they packed it in after 89, traded Frankie. And, uh, you know, it looked like they were in for a long haul. Uh, but they patched it back together. And the uh, 91 team was really good. And uh, But Smiley, I remember being shocked in uh, spring training that they went and got him. You know, but we were – it was – Spring training, uh, I think, and uh, that they yeah, it was went and got him mid March because they decided they had a chance to win, and uh, they they did have a chance to win, but it didn't work out. More cantankerous, Smiley or Tommy Her? Tommy Her was just unhappy to be there. He was uh, <laughs> he, Smiley took the ball. He didn't refuse to play, but uh, you know, well. 
Kerr got cantankerous when people started ripping him, you know. So Tom Powers was the beat writer and uh, for the St. Paul paper. And uh, I was a, still, no, I wasn't there. I wasn't still, was it? yeah, I, no, I wasn't still there. I wasn't there, but I was talking to him one day and he, uh, oh, 87, yeah, 88, right? 88, I was still for Tommy there. Hurt. Yeah. And he said, 88. He was in the uh, he was in the uh, whirlpool tub every day, and and Powers is the one who called him the Iron Horse the first time. And I said, unfortunately, you're a game story writer, so you can't use the Iron Horse. So I'm stealing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we started with the Iron Horse thing on uh, on her and uh, bash the. Uh, living hell out of that guy but uh i was uh at the 10-year anniversary of the 87 team they had a, a put up a big tent outside the dome and they had a party for the players and i i took katie my wife with me and uh and we were standing there talking to terry ryan when he and brunanski basically saw each other for the first time since the trade and Bernanski walked over and said, Terry, how you doing? And he said, since you ruined my life, how are you doing since you ruined my life? So, uh, and of course, Terry apologized uh, profusely for uh, the uh, the ill-advised trade. And went, no, it was Andy. We were talking to Andy. It was McPhail. Yeah, McPhail made the Andy. trade. We were talking to Andy, not Terry. And he came, how are you doing since you... Uh, Ruined my life. That was one of the damnedest trades. <laughs> yeah, it was. Kelly wanted him, though. Kelly wanted a, a two-hitter, you know. He believed in the old thing, and he was not a Lombo fan. He wanted somebody who wasn't an out hitting second. And Kurt, you know, switch hitter, walked a lot, was was hitting in front of Puck, you know. It was uh, him hitting with Puck. He, he saw that as a big thing, but. You know, for that to work, the guy had to play, right? And he didn't play. So I think yeah. he only played 35 games or something. Last thing, training camp. Yes. I've decided, you know what? I miss Mankato. I, I miss too. going down there, staying there, no distractions personally, a few beers, going back, and, and just it was all football. And now it's this drive. i got to drive out there, yeah. and it's and not the same. Made- I miss it. And the people that are there aren't staying. They're just they're there, and now it's right. Now it's over, and they disappear. We used to have got people showed up for three days, four days, hang out in Mankato. It's it it was an event to go yep. to Mankato. It's not an event. It's it's you know it Mankato. Hey Mankato, sixteen days. They're only there sixteen days, and but it was something to do. Go down and you know. Take your family, take your buddies, you know, go down. Go to Boomtown. Yeah, or, or Meddlers or someplace, you know. And, uh, and you know, it's it's not an event. I mean, people no. people who go to – now they have all this stuff for the kids and, uh, and uh, everything. But uh, as far as foot, hardcore football fans, I they might go, but it's, it's you know, who, who cares, really? And it's, uh, you know, at the start trombone, we have three beat writers, three highly involved sports columnists, 
old Pat can just kind of ignore it. It's just fine with me. You know, I'm not going to go out there. You paid your dues on the Vikings, Pat. I'm not going to go out there, stand in a group of 14 around some guy at a podium and uh, get four innocuous quotes and think you can write something about it. You know, it's, uh, it's always been, football's always been tougher, but it's, you know, in, in training camp, you used to be able to sit down and talk to a guy once in a while, and now it's, I don't know, it's a joke. They, the, the, uh, the, uh, I should, they're dedicated to uh, getting the message out that they want. It's, uh, you know, they, as far as they're concerned, if none of us existed, would, would they be better off, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, they, and, and they, the paranoia they, is they not going away. away. Sorry, if they what? could just deliver their message through their website and Paul Allen, they would be happier than hell, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, who's, who might as well be a team employee if he's not. I don't know he might be. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's teams delivering their message themselves is uh, the, the modern uh, event here in, uh, in sports, but nowhere is it more uh, diabolical in, in the NFL. So, you know, it's uh, – I don't know. It's amazing. This game five, six years ago, you wondered where it was headed with all the concussions, and now it's more popular than ever. It's uh, it's incredible. It's it, going it, up. It reflects it reflects America. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, it reflects America. Violence. Viol and and attention spans, because we have none. It's once yeah. a week. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you know, I think, I think they have a. 40% chance to win the division because I think the Packers are greatly overrated and they let their one receiver leak go. That's what I'm they curious about. They don't have any receivers. Yep. And uh, Rodgers is back for the money. He's not back for the glory. He knows he, he knows he had his chance for glory the last two years and puked it up. And uh, he's back for the money now, nothing else. I think they're going to be mediocre, and the Bears and the Lions stink. So uh, I think they're, I think they're going to win. The, I think they have the same advantage the Twins do. I was going to say. So ba basically, what you're saying is they play in the American League Central. Uh, yeah, I do. Well, they, you know, well, when you consider, I see the white. I see the Packers having the same possibility as the White Sox taking a big step back. So I, I don't. You know, the Packers shocked me. Now, their defense might be okay, but uh, I don't know. We, uh, I, I think that uh, the Vikings, uh, they only and they only have to play seven road games. You know, they get mm -hmm. to play the Saints. They get to play nine home games and seven road games. That's, that's a pretty good advantage in the NFL, too. So I think they'll be pretty good, and I'm sure that nobody will be doing a better job of covering it than the rest of the Score North staff and uh, the rest of the Star Tribune staff. Good luck to you, fellas. Go out there and talk to these. What, yeah, what's your advice? What's your advice for, for guys covering the National Football League beat? Uh, quit. Go get a job as a bartender. I don't know <laughs> what I would buy. Well, you know, you saw our unemployment in the state of Minnesota. 1.1%. You don't have to do this job. There's other jobs. You know, you could yeah, that's true. Plenty of other jobs. Absolutely. That's, that's true. I suppose, uh, 
you know, if there's some obscure guy from Moorhead State who's on the team that's a third teamer and I can go out there and actually talk to him, I might show up. But as far as being one of 38 guys trying to talk to that lump of a quarterback, I'm not interested. You know, I hope there's two things. You know, they create some interest by decent play. Or cousin really stinks and everybody turns on him because I think he's a load. So I think he's a mental midget. So I didn't know you you had turned the strong on cousins. I I thought that you were a little bit more down the middle on. Yeah, I've always I didn't like him when he first came in because he was too arrogant. But right. then I realized I liked him better when he was arrogant than trying to be sincere because you know deep in his heart we, he thinks we're all jerks. Yeah, that's and very true. Players, yeah. I mean fans, writers. Reporters, everybody. He's, he's a, uh, I, I, not my kind of guy. Not, not, not a sincere guy. He's not like Tony or Cot. He's just a. What? No, he's not. You know, is he still taking the rocks out of the? As far as we know. As far as we know, yeah. We quit asking about that. We Good. we don't care now. It's, it's not going to be the same. You guys, you are going to miss the Zim though. With these everybody's going to miss the Zim. The, the quotes from this guy are going to be pablum. Pablum is all you're going to get from him and Mensa. What are Rocco. we coming up with? Uh, Rocco too. I can't, I, I don't feel it's appropriate to call this guy crazy all the time, but I can't. Uh, what, 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 what are you, I, I hate writing hyphenated names too constantly as far as their quotes. So what, what are we going to start to do? We got a nickname for him yet? No, not um, yet. That's up to you. Yeah, I'm gonna, You're good I'm gonna at that. Take it easy on that guy. That guy's too smart for me, man. He's using words I have no idea what the hell he's talking. Don't about. be fooled by that. No, it's an old trick. Use That's big cool. words. Whenever you get you out find there, out. Whenever you get out there and decide what to write, remember to make it an intentional decision. Yeah, you know, I, I will. I will. Intentional decision. All, All right, right sir. gentlemen. We uh, shall uh, talk to you later. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. You've heard me discuss my relationship with Josh Arnold for some time. The reason I advocate that you give Josh a call is simple. Trust and results. Josh has seen it all when it comes to economic and market conditions. As has been said, uh, through all of our relationship, past results do not guarantee future returns. And while that is true, Josh can make sure that your retirement objectives match your investments. You can understand that Josh will make sure you are not paying more in fees than you are seeing in returns. Yes, that is more common than you would like to think. Do yourself a favor and have a booking with Josh for the four. 48-minute free evaluation. This is a no-obligation meeting. Call Josh at 952-925-5608. You will be glad that you did. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Patrick Royce is a paid endorser. Hi, this is Daniel Rue of the Real GM Radio Podcast. And while the NBA season is still 
pretty new. There are some interesting storylines going on. And for me, one of them is, let's call it a shift in expectations, because there are a couple teams that we expected to be not necessarily pushing the accelerator in the early going in the season, maybe seeing Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, this purportedly strong 2023 draft class, and going, hey, we could be a part of that. And that would be the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. Both teams are over 500 with some nice wins. And this isn't fluky. They're playing well so far. And so we will see how they build on this, how they react to it. Do they keep pushing, see if the can keep going, or do they change directions through trades and everything else? So that'll be something to watch in this year where the draft class is, is strong and these teams have incentives going in both directions. Hi, this is Daniel LaRue from the Real GM Radio Podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, matchups, news, in-depth analysis, and live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. Can check in on your favorite games and events, including the baseball playoffs, start of the hockey season, MMA, boxing, and golf, plus sports podcasts. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts.